All right. Well, are you ready to hear the word? Are you ready to receive the word? Are you excited about the word? All right. All right. All right. The preacher always preaches better when the people are excited to hear the word. If you have your Bibles, can you lift them up in the air? Yeah, I don't, see a, I don't see too many phones and tablets. I see some leather-bound, paperback Bibles. Hey, um, repeat this after me. Let's make a declaration together. Lord, I believe your word, and I'm ready to receive from your word. Challenge me this morning. Convict me this morning. Change me this morning. Amen. 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 I am excited uh, about bringing you the word. Um, I'm very, very excited uh, about what God wants to do this morning. I believe uh, that uh, God has put this message on my heart for you this morning. I believe it's not a coincidence that you're here, but you are here on purpose because God wants to do something incredible uh, in your life this morning. Uh, Pastor wanted me to, to tell you that uh, he's having a great time on vacation and that he loves you and that he's thinking about you this morning. He'll be here this week, and, and so we're all excited about that. Well, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to go a little Joel Osteen on you this morning and start my message off with a story. Um, some of you may have heard this already, and if you have, just act like and laugh like this is the very first time You've heard it, okay? It'll make me feel better. Um, there was an elderly lady who stood up one Sunday night during a testimony service in her little church and grabbed the mic. She said, I just want to tell everybody how good God has been to me. You see, I was down to my last $20, and I gave it in the offering last week. I didn't really know where my next meal was going to come from. My cupboards were empty, but I gave anyway and went home trusting God. Hallelujah. She explained how her neighbor was an atheist and how he took every opportunity to mock her faith. How can you trust in God, he would prod, when he's done such a poor job providing for you? So when he heard she'd given her last $20, the neighbor decided to have a little fun with the old woman. He went to the store, purchased several bags of groceries, crept over to her house while she was inside, and placed the groceries on her front step. Then he knocked three times on the door, and ran off to hide on his porch, awaiting her reaction. Well, when the woman came out and saw the groceries, she got happy. All she could say was, God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. She said this over and over again, getting louder and louder each time. Her slow pacing on the front porch was slowly evolving into a full-blown dance, and now she was shouting, God did it, God did it, God did it. She was running around on her porch screaming about how God did it, God did it, God did it, just screaming and screaming and dancing and twerking. I mean, never mind, she wasn't twerking. I'm just kidding. She was spiritual. She didn't do that stuff. Um, But she was in a full-blown dance screaming, God did it, God did it, God did it. Finally, the atheist could stand no more. Some of you older folk don't even know what twerking is. You guys just kind of laugh because everybody else did. <laughs> you're, you're blessed if you don't know what that is. It's ridiculous. Uh, finally, the atheist could stand no more. He sprinted to the steps of the woman's porch and shouted, Gotcha! Everybody say, Gotcha! gotcha. 
not knowing or really caring what he was talking about, the lady repeated, God did it. God didn't do it. The neighbor objected. I bought the groceries. Unfazed, she replied, God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. Exasperated, the atheist screamed, God didn't do anything because your God doesn't exist. Here's the receipt for the groceries. I bought them so you'd finally be forced to admit that God is a figment of your imagination. After a long pause, the woman declared, God did it, and he made the devil pay for it. Amen? Look in your Bibles at 2 Kings chapter number 13. And we're going to read verses 14 through 19 for our text this morning. And by the way, there are sermon notes on the back of your bulletin for you to follow along. And we'll have the scripture up on the screen here. 2 Kings chapter number 13. We're going to start with verse number 14. If you're there, say, got it. All right. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. The title of my message this morning is Pound the Ground. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them to pound the ground. This is the story of the great prophet Elisha's last miracle before he died. And let me just give you a little Uh, a little background of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's protege and successor. He was a spiritual son to the great prophet. And as Elijah was about to be taken to heaven, he asked his spiritual son what he would like from him. And Elisha responded and said, I want a double portion of the anointing that you have. And so Elijah responded and said, if you see me taken up to heaven, you will receive my mantle, and you will receive a double portion of the anointing. But if you don't see me going back up into heaven, you will not receive a double portion. And Elisha, in fact, did receive a double portion, and he performed twice the amount of recorded miracles that Elijah performed. Elisha was very influential and was the spiritual leader of Israel during his ministry. Kings would go to him for advice and counsel. He performed many, many miracles, including raising a little boy from the dead. He healed a man of a nasty skin disease called leprosy. And he caused an entire army that was trying to capture him to go completely blind. He also prophesied that Israel would have a long famine, and that came to pass. Then he prophesied that the famine would end, and and that came to pass. 
he prophesied that the Shunammite woman would have a son, and it came to pass. And by the time this particular story took place, Elisha was very old, and he was very sick, and he was on his deathbed, and he had been in ministry, in prophetic ministry for over 60 years by the time this story took place. And as Elisha was on his deathbed, Jehoash, Israel's king, came to him, not to pay his last respects, but because he was about to be attacked by the Arameans, and he wanted to know what he should do. And so Elisha tells the king to get a bow and some arrows, and I have got uh, a professional bow, and I'm going to shoot it during the service, and so it is very, very sharp, and so if the, if the arrow's coming at you, you, you seriously need to, to duck because it could kill you, okay? So I'm going to go get it real quick. I'll be right back. Okay, so these bow and arrows, real professional grade. You can kill elephants with this stuff. And I believe it may have been the same bow and arrow that the king used during the story. And here it is. And so, and so uh, Elisha tells the king to get his bow and arrow out. And he says to open the eastern window. And so east, I'm a little directionally challenged, but I think east is that way, right? And so he said, open that window up and shoot the arrow out. Okay, and so the king followed him and he shot the arrow. Hopefully it went further than that. That was pitiful. And so he shoots the arrow out of the eastern window. And then Elisha says, pick up the rest of the arrows and shoot them into the ground. In other words, pound the ground. Look at your neighbor again and tell them to pound the ground. And instead of shooting all of the arrows he had into the ground, he only shot three of them into the ground. And this angered the prophet. This angered Elisha, and he got upset with the king. He told him that he should have kept pounding the ground at least five or six times. And that would have got them complete victory over Aram. But because he only pounded the ground three times, they would only be victorious three times. From the outside, looking in, this story, in this story, it seems like the king obeyed the prophet and did exactly what he wanted him to do, yet the prophet was angry at him. Why was the prophet angry at the king? And I don't think this was the type of anger that, that he wanted to like duke it out with him and punch him or, or whatever. I don't think this was the type of anger where he uh, heaped condemnation on the king. I think it was the type of anger that he felt. He felt like you left you left something out on the court. It, it felt like there was so much more that you could have experienced. And that was the kind of anger. It was more of a disappointment that, that you could have had this. But you didn't pound the ground enough. Tell your neighbor to pound the ground. So I've come up with three reasons that the prophet Elisha was angry at the king. Number one. The prophet was angry at the king because the king settled for partial victory when the Lord wanted to give him complete victory. Jesus, with his own blood, paid for complete victory over our enemy, the devil. But most of us settle for partial victory because, because we like the little sins that we 
that we, that we commit. We still want to mess around with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We still want to watch movies that are vulgar. We still want to w- listen to music that glorifies the world. We still want to cuss. We still want to hold grudges against people and on and on and on. We could add anything in that list. But a lot of us, we only experience partial victory in our lives because we like what we're doing. When someone is accused of committing a crime that they didn't do, they sometimes settle for a plea bargain to get lesser time instead of going to trial and risk being found guilty by the jury in spite of their innocence. Sometimes there is circumstantial evidence against this person, and so they they accept a plea bargain. Sometimes they understand that a good prosecutor may sway the jury to, to... to a guilty verdict, even though they're innocent. Lots of stuff can go wrong. So in spite of their innocence, they settle. Many of us Christians are settling for a plea bargain, even though Jesus has already given us complete victory. We've just got to receive it, embrace it, and walk in it. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Can we put this picture up? Anybody know who that is? Somebody say Shaquille O'Neal? You serious? That right there is LeBron James, and he's been in the news recently because he went from Miami back to his hometown in Cleveland. But I want to talk about the decision that he made four years ago. And he decided to go from Cleveland to Miami. And people were outraged because of this man's decision. And do you know why? It's because he took the path of least resistance in order to win NBA championships. Instead of staying in Cleveland and allowing a team to be built around him, he decided to go to Miami and pair up with two other superstars so that he could easily win an NBA championship. And although he won two championships, he'll never get the credit that that a Michael Jordan would receive because he stayed in Chicago and he allowed a team to be built around him. And he won championships and many championships that way. And just FYI, a lot of my examples are about sports because I love sports, and, and that's, that, those are my examples. But the moral of this story is this. Don't settle for the path of least resistance. Strive for God's best in your life, even if it's harder, even if it's more difficult. Strive for God's best, and don't settle for anything less. King Jehoash settled for only winning three victories over Aram when it was going to take many more victories to destroy this enemy completely. He settled to win a few battles but was content to lose the war. He settled to win a few battles but he was content because he didn't pound the ground enough to lose the war. Have you ever done this in your life? Maybe you or someone you love needed a healing and you started and you prayed and you prayed and you started out with a lot of faith and you started out believing God for a miracle, but because it didn't happen, a week went by, month went by, maybe a year went by, maybe multiple years went by and you started doubting God and you started maybe thinking, I know God heals, but maybe he's not going to heal me and you stopped praying and believing and acting in faith. Or, or, or maybe this is you. I know God has spoken to my heart to get more involved here at the Grace Place, but I just don't see how God could use me because I really don't have much to offer. And you're settling. You're settling for the easy route. 
When we settle for good enough instead of God's best, we never experience total victory in our lives. You will never truly be satisfied in your life if you settle. God does not want you to settle for religion when he has so much more for you. He doesn't want you to settle for just coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and feeling like you have done your duty. God wants you to discover your gifts and strengths and use them to minister to people. He wants you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities to glorify Him. He wants you to be involved in areas of ministry here at the Grace Place. He wants you to be involved in outreaches like our back-to-school outreach so that you can be used in the strengths and the gifts that God has given you. If you never try, you'll never know what you're gifted at. If you never step out, you'll never figure out the fact that you could walk on water. If you have a gift or a talent and you refuse to let people know because you don't want to be asked to do something, you are settling. You're being selfish. Discovering your gifts and being used in your strength is not about you. It's about the people that God is going to use you to minister to. It's about the people that God is going to use you to reach. It's not about you. Although being used in your gifts, talents, and abilities, it will bless you and it will help you and it will grow you. But ultimately, it's about the people that God is going to use you to impact. Amen? In my book, partial victory is no victory at all because those enemies will regroup, they will reload, and you better believe that they will refire. God wants you to be fully consumed with him, not partially consumed by him. He wants you to have the mind of Christ fully, not just partially. He wants you to be completely free of depression, not just partly free of depression. He wants you to be completely secure, not just partially secure. He wants you to walk in total purity, not partial purity. Like I said earlier, Jesus did not go to the cross and die so that we could settle for partial victory. Like he didn't stop the Roman soldiers as they were beating him mercilessly and say, well, that's enough. This hurts a little too much. I've already, I've already kind of gotten beaten. I've already gotten some of the skin ripped out of my back. And, 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 and so I'm not going to go to the cross. I've won partial victory already. So let, let's go home. You don't have to continue this. Jesus didn't say that. He won us complete victory. He took, he took the beating. He took the walk up to the hill. He went onto the cross and he died a horrific death. Not so that we could be partially victorious, but so that we could be completely victorious over the enemy. Amen? Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 26 and 29 says this. Dear friends, if we deliberately, everybody say deliberately. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. The Bible says this. Verse 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. There's a lot of people smart, way smarter than I am, way more knowledgeable than I am about the Bible that have tried to, to, to kind of dumb down what this scripture says. 
They've tried to twist what it says so it'd be easier, so it'd be a little bit more comfortable on our ears. It would tickle our ears a little bit more. But the Bible says what the Bible says. Let's not be people who know Jesus and know what he says about sin in our lives, yet deliberately keep doing what we know he paid the price for already. Let's walk in complete victory that Christ has already won for us. Let's walk in it starting this morning. The second reason the prophet was angry at the king was because the king lacked persistence. The king lacked persistence. If you want to overcome sin in your life, you have to be persistent at making right choices. You can't make a right choice on Monday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you make terrible choices. You've got to be persistent. You've got to continually make right choices in your lives. You know, guys, I think a big mistake people make is assuming that if they pray to God to remove a temptation, that the enemy will suddenly just stop tempting them. The Bible never says that. that. That's something that we make up in our own minds, but the Bible doesn't say that. Here's what the Bible does say in James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Bible gives us a formula. He says, first of all, you have to submit yourself to God. You've got to come under the lordship and the authority of Jesus then you've got to resist the devil. And then and only then will he flee from you. And you've got to continue to do that. It's not just a one-time act where you did it 10 years ago and you expect the devil not to come back. The devil will come back every single day and try to tempt you. And every single day you have to submit yourself. You've got to resist. And then you've got to cause him to flee. Sometimes we think that Jesus was only tempted by the devil when he was in the desert. Jesus was tempted over and over and over again. And he overcame temptation over and over and over again. For example, if you struggle with lust, but you are watching movies with sexual content in them, you are not submitting yourself to God, you are not resisting the devil, therefore he will not flee from you. I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm talking about opening doors for the devil to have authority in your life. If you want to get over something you got to be persistent at making right choices. If you struggle with depression, yet you listen to music about death, depression, and hopelessness, you are not submitting to God, you're not resisting the devil, therefore he will not flee from you in that area. You can listen to whatever type of music you want to listen to. You can watch whatever type of movie you want to watch. But if you want complete victory, you got to make some right choices. You know, the problem with many of us is that we want being a Christian to be easy. I do. We want overcoming temptation to be easy. Let me give you a a little reality check. It's not. Being a Christian is not easy. It's not a cakewalk. It's not, you know, I get saved and all my problems go away. That's just not the case. If resisting temptation were easy, then everybody would be doing it, right? It's hard. It's a struggle. It's a battle. The devil will do everything he possibly can to keep you from walking in God's best for your life. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 says this, A final word 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Some of y'all need to hear this because you are fighting against flesh and blood. You think your mama is the enemy. You think your daddy is the enemy. You think the person sitting three rows behind you is the enemy. You need to get this. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. The Bible tells us to put on armor in order to resist the devil. You don't put on armor if you're going to a tea party. You put on armor armor if you're going to war. The devil has waged a war on your souls. And if we have accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, there is a target on our backs. There is an absolute target on our backs. And the devil is going to come after us. And I'm not the type of person that thinks... The devil is under every rock, okay? I'm not the type of person that thinks everything is about devil and demons. But I am a person that believes that, that, that the spiritual realm is real. And, and there is demonic resistance. And the devil is attacking us. And he is waging war on our souls. That is real. And we need to be aware of it. And the enemy is very strategic in the sense of he knows where to attack you. He knows where your weak point is he studies us and he knows he knows what time to attack us he knows where to attack he knows how to attack us for many of us his main goal is not to get you to smoke drink do drugs all of the big sins that that the church and the christians have have made up all of those big sins for most of us in here that's not what the devil's trying to attack us with that's not what the devil's going to try to bring us down with His strategy of war against you might be to get you to settle. Might get you to settle, to get you comfortable so that you will stop fighting. You're so comfortable with life. You're so comfortable with, with, with where you are that you have stopped fighting. You have stopped waging war. You have stopped going after God with the same... Uh, fierceness and the same passion that you used to go after him because you're comfortable now. You see, guys, you don't just snap your fingers, go to the altar, repeat a prayer, and never get tempted again. Our life with God is a lifelong journey with ups and downs, ins and outs, highs and lows. You know what I've noticed? Our culture lacks persistence, and it's a big problem in the church, too. Our culture as a whole lacks persistence we want everything instantly and reality tv now i'm going to take a minute to pick on reality tv it has given our society the false notion that you don't have to work hard or be talented at anything to become rich and famous you know what i'm saying we have reality tv stars that have zero talent that haven't worked hard to get where they are that are simply famous for being famous that's their whole deal they don't have a a a a craft that they're excellent at they're just famous for being famous like what on earth have the kardashians done to become famous okay what on earth do we watch honey boo boo for i mean why did we watch a bunch of idiots from new jersey for so long 
And why were we so interested in the train wreck that was John and Kate plus eight? It's our fault that these people are famous just for being famous because we watch the stuff. And I'm guilty too. I'm not going to tell you the reality shows that I watch that I'm into because I'm embarrassed. And you guys might think I'm not as spiritual as I perceive to be up here. And you're probably right for thinking it. It's like, let's put a guitar in our hands, sing a song, post it to YouTube, and become famous. It's easy as that. We are trained to get things instantly, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to be persistent about anything. And that is one of the reasons we have so many weak Christians in the body of Christ today. Let's define what it means to be persistent. It means to continue steadfastly or firmly in some state purpose, course of action, or the like, especially in spite of opposition, to last or endure tenaciously. Let's look at uh, some synonyms of the word persistent. To continue, endure, go on, persevere, pursue, remain, grind, repeat, go the limit, hold on, stick it out, tough it out. Remember, submit to God, resist the devil, then he will flee from you. It's fantasy to think that once we pray a prayer at the altar, then the temptation will be easy to overcome. There are some temptations that you will have to battle, that you will have to deal with every single day. And you'll have to submit to God, resist the devil, and flee from you. You don't know how many times I've heard people say, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and this temptation, this desire won't go away. maybe, Maybe that's just who I am. There's some things in our lives that go away instantly. There's some things in our lives we'll deal with and battle with our entire lives. It'll be a a process. It'll be a journey, and we won't get total victory until we're in heaven with Jesus. You see, if I wasn't persistent in my marriage, then the next time Priscilla and I got into a huge disagreement, I'd be out the door. I understood going into marriage That there would be ups and downs, highs and lows. I make mistakes, she makes mistakes. According to her, I make way more mistakes than her, but... You know what I'm saying? If if I wasn't persistent as a father, then the next time Avia or Boston made me mad, I'd put them up for adoption. I've never wanted to at all. They're too cute. But, you know, being a parent isn't easy. Training a three-year-old to obey is not easy. You know, it's all, and, it, and it always happens when you go out to eat with somebody, like, for the first time, they, they decide to act like a complete lunatic, and they make, you know, you've, had, you've, you've been out to eat, like, several times where they've been perfect, but this one time where you have one opportunity to make a, a, a good first impression, they decide to act like crazies, and, and you feel, and you know they're thinking, these parents can't control their kids. They, they need some parenting advice. It always happens then. I learned a lesson on persistence in eighth grade. Let's just say I was a little bit chubby in eighth grade. I couldn't jump very high in eighth grade. I wasn't the fastest person, and I was short. I'm still short. But I loved basketball, and so I played little league basketball. 
and because I couldn't dribble that well, and I wasn't that quick, uh, and I, I wasn't a good enough shooter to play guard, the coach put me in as forward. And if you know anything about basketball, you don't put one of the shortest people on the team as forward on the team. You put one of the, you know, more of the taller people as forward. And so I made a decision right there that even though I was out of position for my size, that, that I was going to be persistent. I was going to grind. I was going to continue on. I was going to be the best forward that I could possibly be at five foot three inches and that I was going to use the big butt that God blessed me with to box out and get as many rebounds as I possibly could and to get as many putbacks as I possibly could. I was going to use that butt of mine for something positive. (laughs) I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of girls jealous of my eyelashes and my big butt in my day. And so I decided that I was going to be the best forward that I possibly could, even though I was out of position. And you know what? At the end of the season, I wish I could say I was the MVP of the team, but I wasn't. (laughs) I wish I was asked to be on the tournament select team, but I wasn't. But at the end of the season, my coach came to me and said, Steve, you played great, and you did the best with your ability and, and you did awesome, and, and that was enough for me. And you know what? That's what persistent gets. You might not be the MVP, but at least you tried your best. And at least you did your best. The Christian life isn't easy, but we continue moving forward because God's best for our lives is where we will get the greatest satisfaction. Some of you might feel like God has put you out of position where you're at right now. You might feel like you're playing power forward when, when based on your size, you should be playing guard, point guard, shooting guard. Maybe you feel like you're out of position today. Some of you are having a hard time staying persistent because you feel like you're at the wrong job. Some of you are having a hard time staying persistent because you feel like you have the wrong spouse. Some of you, some of you, some of you feel like it's hard being persistent because you feel like you got the wrong kids can't change that. (laughs) Here's the deal. God knows what he's doing. And if you are in wrong position, maybe because it's, maybe it's because God is trying to teach you something. Or maybe you're in, maybe you're in the right position. You just don't know it yet. And God is waiting for an attitude adjustment. I've been there. Amen. I've been there. And the third reason that the prophet was angry at the king is because the king didn't give everything he had. The king didn't give everything he had. And worship team, could you come up and and help me out, please? The reason why so many people go to the altar over and over and over to get saved, then resaved, then resaved again, then resaved again. And, And to tell you the truth, my first month of being saved, you know, getting saved, I got resaved about 27 times. So I'm not, you know, I'm not downing you about that. But the reason that people do that over and over and over is because when you go to the altar, you're not giving everything to Jesus. You're just giving a part of you to Jesus. You're giving him a guilt offering because you feel guilty for something you did that week. But you're not surrendering everything. When you give everything to Jesus, you don't give up on him when something bad happens to you. You don't put them on the back burner and put your career first. 
You don't excuse little sins in your life because they will turn into big sins eventually. The prophet told the king to shoot his arrows into the ground, and he only shot three of them into the ground instead of all of them. Each time he pounded the ground, it represented another military victory. Some people think that the king was even aware that every time he shot that arrow into the ground, he understood that God was giving him another victory. I don't know if that was true or not, but some people believe that the king was well aware. But for whatever reason, he just gave up. For whatever reason, he just stopped. For whatever reason, he didn't give everything. How many of us do the exact same thing as the king? Could you just play the keyboard in the background for me? It just, it helps me out. It makes me feel good. How many of us do the exact same thing as the king did? How many of us could relate to the king and what he did? I know I can. You know, we we know the way we talk to our spouse or our kids is not right. We know that God doesn't want us to lash out in anger, yet we stop pounding the ground at three and we say, I've worked all day and I'm tired and I'm irritated. They just got to deal with it. My father had anger problems and that's why I have anger problems. That's just the way it is. We say things like, at least I'm providing. They can put up with me because of that. Why do we not give God everything that we have? Is it because we're tired of fighting so we just give in to the temptation to settle? One of the big temptations we have to overcome is the temptation to compare our lives to others. This is a huge temptation. We look around at our coworkers, family members, other people at church, and we think, at least I'm doing better than him. At least I'm doing better than her. At least I'm doing something in the church that person's not even doing I must be okay we say things like I don't tithe but I give every once in a while and pastor says there's some people in the church that don't give a dime so I, I must be doing okay we say things like I'm not really reaching out to any of my lost co-workers or neighbors but I'm at least coming to church I'm at least praying two times a week I'm at least reading my bible once every three weeks must be doing okay guys don't fall into the comparison trap because you will justify the fact that you're not giving your all to Jesus don't look around and compare instead look inward and ask yourself how God wants you to live your life and you be obedient to how God wants you to live your life don't look around at everybody else because we can always find somebody not doing as much as us. And we can always find somebody doing more than us. Don't look around, look inward. For the king, because he didn't give everything, Israel was eventually invaded by the Moabites. Israel had victory for a while, but because the king didn't give everything, the enemy eventually invaded them just as the prophet told him they would. For you and I, if we don't give everything to God, we will eventually be invaded as well. It might be an invasion of apathy where we don't even care about being on fire for God anymore. We don't even care anymore. We're satisfied. We're settled. We're okay. When God has so much more. It might be an invasion 
of immorality, if you stop being persistent at making right decisions, right choices, it might be an invasion of immorality in your life. It might be an invasion of depression. It might be an invasion of bitterness and resentment. It might be an invasion of settling for good enough instead of God's best for your life. Pound the ground, church. Don't stop at three. Don't stop at four. Don't stop till you've emptied your quiver. Don't stop until you've given everything. Don't stop until you receive complete victory. And complete victory will not come until you make it to heaven. So by the grace of God, keep pounding the ground. Keep shooting arrows into the ground. Don't give up before your victory. Many of us, like the king, give up pounding the ground right before God is about to give us our breakthrough. We quit right before God is about to move in our lives in the way that we've been praying and believing. We give up right before it. And God's up in heaven saying, my son, my daughter, just keep pounding. I'm about to break through. Don't give up. Don't stop. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how long it's been since that first prayer you prayed, keep pushing and I read something somewhere yesterday that said you might either see the miracle or you might be the miracle if you need a miracle in your life you keep believing you keep pounding the ground you keep going after God and you will be the miracle in the sense of you might not ever see it in your life but the way you handled it the way you gave glory to God in the midst of your trial in the midst of your struggle the fact that you never gave up will be a miracle to other people And hey, you might see it. You might see it. But you either see the miracle or you be the miracle. Many of us give up right before we receive our victory. There's a reason and a timing for everything. Don't hold back because if you do, you will get invaded. Don't compare to other people to justify where you're at with God. Give everything you have to God. This morning. Let's pray, everybody. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would start to to work in people's hearts. You've already started. You've already started, but, but God, the areas that need to be pointed out this morning, I pray you would point out. God, the areas where we need to pound the ground more in, the areas where 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 we've given up. And we're walking in partial victory or no victory at all. God, I pray that you would start revealing it to people all over this place. God, I pray that nobody would leave here satisfied with partial victory. I'm going to ask you a question with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. What enemy do you need to pound the ground for this morning? What enemy? Is it the enemy of lust? Is it the enemy of depression? Is it suicidal thoughts? Is it apathy? Is it a grudge against someone else? Is it a self-righteous attitude? What enemy or enemies do you need victory over?
this morning. You're walking in partial victory, but you know God has more for you. If you need complete victory in an area of your life today, I want you to lift up your hand in this place. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see hands in every row. I see those hands in every area of this auditorium. Here's what I want to do. Can I have, can I have some of our praying people come up? Those of you that you've prayed for people before at the altars, maybe you're a deacon. But you, you've prayed, you've been trained on how to pray, and I want you to come up and face the crowd this morning. Adam, could I have you come up? Veronica, could I have you come up, please? And just face the crowd. I, had, I saw hands raised all over this place. And so I'm going to have the worship team. Could you do Christ alone? I, that was... That was a little more uh, what I'm feeling for the altar time here. Uh, but I'm going to have the worship team sing a song. And, and as they're singing, I want you to come up. And I'm going to ask these that are standing up. There's several people up here standing. I'm going to ask them to pray for you this morning. And I believe that God is going to give you breakthrough. I believe that God is going to give you victory. If you've stopped pounding the ground, but because of what you've heard this morning, you want to make a decision to start pounding the ground again. You've made that decision. I, I, I'm, I'm done settling, but I'm ready for complete victory. I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want you to walk up here. And worship team, you go ahead and start. If you raise your hand, don't be scared. Don't be embarrassed. You're not going to receive victory unless you come up here. Be bold. Be courageous. And just go to whoever you want, and they're going to start praying for you. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And what hearts of love. What depths of peace When fears are still When striving cease My comforter My all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand No
Jesus commands my 